I met Kent Stainback in Los Angeles about, I think it was about 10 or 12 years ago. And I went out there for the Shepherds Conference, which is a kind of a big men's conference they have there. My brother Mark and I go out there almost every year for that. Kent was born, raised, and resides in Texas, but you probably already figured that out by listening to his accent. He's 59 years old. He's married to Amy, and we've been so pleased to have Amy come up with Kent. We've been, they're staying with us, so we've had a really nice time together. They're the father of five adult children and the grandparents of two. Kent is the founder and president of the Stainback Organization, and that's a, a Dallas-based commercial real estate company. He's worked with Walmart for, for many years, developing their super centers in Texas and Oklahoma. Uh, he also does work with Chick-fil-A and Starbucks and other companies. He also serves on the board of Grace to You. And for those of you who aren't familiar with Grace to You, that's the radio ministry of, of John MacArthur. Where, where that linkage between the MacArthur family and the Stainback family came in is that Kent's son, Ford, is married to John MacArthur's granddaughter. He's also the founder, and some of you who've listened to the program, The Christian Worldview, for a while may remember this. He's the founder of the SLJ Institute. S. Lewis Johnson was not necessarily well-known amongst regular congregants of churches, yeah, maybe. He was a preacher's century. preacher. He was a preacher to the preacher, and uh, highly influential in the, uh, the 20th century. He's passed away now. He's gone home to be with the Lord, but... Uh, Kent was a very good friend of his, and we're going to get into that tonight, and the influence of S. Lewis Johnson, and then the way S. Lewis Johnson influenced all of these notable pastors in the 20th century. Kent also founded Expositor.fm, which is an online radio station that features the, the teaching ministry of James Montgomery Boyce and S. Lewis Johnson and Donald Gray Barnhouse and Steve Lawson and John MacArthur and Martin Lloyd-Jones. The last bullet point is that he is the owner of Herb's House Coffee and Company. That's, that's his nickname, is Herb. And so they started Herb's House Coffee and Company on, on the main floor, the bottom floor of his office building in Dallas, where they also started Trinity Bible Church and also Steve Lawson's weekly Bible study, which is broadcast around the world. And by the way, if you listen to the program, see, it was two days ago on Saturday, we talked about the statement on social justice and the gospel that particular statement was the meeting took place in Herb's house coffee shop. Thank you for coming to to Minnesota. Thank you. The the last time he and Amy were here was a little more than nine years ago for when Brody and I were were married. Yeah, glad to see you're still together. (laughs) Thank you. Let's start out a question. I often ask first-time radio guests. Now, you're our first-time radio guest. Mm -hmm. Tell us about your background, your growing up years. Okay. And when and why... You became a follower of Christ. Okay, great question. Uh, I was born into a Christian family, had a great Christian mother and a great Christian father. And I can remember when I was about nine or ten years old, I was sitting, someone, anyway, I had a twin sister. So she always kept me in line because she would tell on me when I was out of line. And But anyway, another story. I can remember being in our room at nine or ten, wondering and I can still remember this. Why am I here? What is my purpose? So at 10 years old, for some reason, I guess it was the Lord. I know obviously it was the Lord moving in my heart. And I was trying to, trying to grasp, what am I here for? Why am I born? Why am I here? What's the purpose? 
And at that time, we were going to a Presbyterian church. Uh, I would think it was a fairly cold Presbyterian church. And for some reason, there was a traveling evangelist, Presbyterian evangelist, that was invited to come to that church. And, and I, his name was Reuben Wallace. And he gave the gospel, the Presbyterian church, and he gave an altar call in the Presbyterian church. And all I can remember is I came to the point that it was an incredible realization that I was a sinner and that at 10 years old, I needed a Savior and that I was going to hell. And I knew that, and he was preaching this. And so the next night, he was having these altar calls. And, I mean, everybody was frozen in the church because they'd never seen that Presbyterian church. And I was sitting on the end, I can remember, and I could not wait until he had the altar call and sang Just As I Am in a Presbyterian church. And I got out, and I walked down that aisle because I was so excited to give my life to Christ and know my sins were forgiven. Well, it scared everybody. <laughs> like, what is this young kid walking down the aisle? I later learned. But anyway, it was God's call in my life. And uh, looking back on it, like we do all of our salvation at the time i just knew that i needed my sins forgiven and in christ trusting in him my sins would be forgiven and that i would have eternal life with him and so now i understand what the lord was doing back then he was calling me uh, he had uh, given me a mom and a dad and that's how it started i think one of the most important questions you can ask someone is who have been the key influencers in your yeah. life and we'll get into some of the ones outside your family but your dad was a very key influencer in your life. As a matter of fact, you grew up near Dallas in a small town. I think it was called Greenville, Texas. Greenville, Texas. Yeah. You went to high school with Bart Millard. No, no, well, no, he's, I wish I could say that, but uh, he's a lot younger than I am. But, but he, he put, went to the he same He put Greenville school. on the map. He put Greenville on the map for it. Does anyone know why? That's yeah. right. He, he was the one who, was, who wrote and has sung the most well-known or most popular yeah. Christian song. Well, it's song actually in, the number one selling Christian song in the history of Christian which songs. Which is, I can only imagine. Yeah. And so Bart Millard actually sang that song at your, your yeah. dad's Yeah, he flew funeral. back. He flew back from Seattle in 2002 all night to sing that, sing that song. Yeah. Tell us about your dad, because I know he was a unique man and had a lasting influence to this day on you. Well, first of all, Amy tells me I'm not sensitive and so, when, but when I start talking about these things, I might get sensitive. <laughs> I start thinking about my father, but he was a, a great impact on my life. And he, I think, when I look back, David, on the people in my life that God brought in, they not only loved the Lord, they had a great impact because they truly loved Christ. But I watched it in their life, and that, that to me, those men, and there was a string of them that uh, had a, a tremendous impact. And my father did. He was a small businessman there in Texas, an entrepreneur, and he had a way with people. And he was a great salesman, a great personality, but he loved the Lord. And in his business, he would interact with people and always have a chance, if he could, to give the gospel, talk to them about their personal life, try to meet a need, whatever he could do. And so he, he was my best friend. And so that's... That's the impact he and had. And you lost him when he was fairly... Lost him when he was 66. And I can remember when he was in his early 30s, he was going through a really tough time in business, a lot of stress, like a lot of entrepreneurs do, borrow a lot of money, owe a lot of money, business goes south. 
And he went to the doctor, and I remember him saying, look, your blood pressure's high, this, that, and the other. And for some reason, he decided to get into the book of Proverbs. And he took himself into the book of Proverbs, meditating on it, and he rearranged the entire book of Proverbs into the categories of Proverbs, where rulers, authority, money, and he studied Proverbs. And from then on, for the rest of his life, remember, he always quoted Proverbs to me. But Proverbs really changed his life and as he got into the Word and he, and he meditated on it and, it and it washed through him and he memorized and studied it, I remember he went back to the doctor a year later and the doctor said, what have you done? Like, what, what have you changed? And basically it was that he had immersed himself in God's Word. And then that really impacted his life and impacted us too for the rest of our lives. Now, you mentioned that your father taught you a lot about business. You followed mm-hmm. his example. And I know he was very important in your early years in becoming a real estate developer and broker. So tell us how you you went from those high school years, you went to Baylor, and then you were working for another company. I think it was, yeah. um, mm-hmm. uh, just tell us your, your the road to becoming a real estate developer broker. We have, I'm sure, some business folks here tonight that would like to hear that story. Let me just say this. I'm in the real estate business, and brains are a detriment to you in the real estate business. Otherwise, you wouldn't be in it. So I had gone to work in Dallas for the largest real estate brokerage company in Texas, and I decided after about six years I wanted to go on my own, and I had received an assignment. I don't know how I got this, but we relocated the Dr. Pepper plant, the home of Dr. Pepper. I don't know, You have Dr. Pepper here in Minnesota. And it was the headquarters, and it gave me enough money to start my own company in about 1980, I guess it was. We got married in 87, started in 87. So I started my own company. Well, about 1989, things started going south, south quick. And I remember going home, and I was telling my dad at Christmas, I said, I'm out. I can't stay in the real estate business. And he said to me, son, I think you need to stay in the real estate business. I said, okay, dad, if you think I should, I will, but I don't know what I'm going to live on. I was married and had a kid. But he said, no, you need to stay in it. And in God's providence, he brought a little company along in 1990 named Walmart. And for some reason, in God's, again, his sovereign providence, they had just started a new concept where they were bringing the synergy of groceries with their uh, soft line goods called super centers. And we began a relationship with Walmart in 1990, I guess about a year after I was getting ready to throw the towel in. And uh, you know how parents are when they can give you good wisdom. Yeah. And so we developed a relationship with Walmart, and it's still going on to this day. Yeah. So tell us about that relationship, like what you provide uh, for them, and what you've learned from working with a huge multinational company like that. I mean, I think at one point, somewhat recently actually, within the last five years ago, wasn't Walmart maybe the, the largest company in the world at some point, or they have been at some point, well, but what have you Amazon, learned yeah. about working with yeah. Walmart, mm-hmm. companies like Chick-fil-A, and the other the other kind of uh, people who have used you for commercial real estate? Well, uh, you know, we've learned a lot, and, and when companies are smaller, there's a lot less bureaucracy, and I say that we've done a lot of work for Walmart. We've done a lot of deals for Walmart, but, but in, in reality, they've done a lot of deals just using us, because it's been, again, I say that when you work for Walmart and you do these large companies, it, it's very taxing. You have to do a lot of work that normally you wouldn't have to do. And they take, they take advantage of you in certain instances. But it all comes down to serving the customer and trying to work with a large group of people in a bureaucratic sense that 
you spend half your time trying to explain why they want to do something that doesn't make sense. So the reality is it is difficult, but on the other hand, it's been a great relationship. And through that relationship with Walmart, it led to a lot of other relationships. Sometimes as people in the marketplace, it's almost like you, know, you go to church on Sunday, but the rest of the week you're in this secular business world. How do you you integrate your your yeah. your biblical worldview into your your business? And what are the what are some of the challenges of being a Christian in that? I, I can only imagine it's a really rough and tumble world of of business working with a company like Walmart. Yeah, it it it, it is difficult, and I think again back to my dad, I saw how he would handle customers, handle people in business, and and we like to say that our platform God's given us, whether it's tennis or business or whatever it is, this is our platform as a believer, and we need to live the principles that our Lord wants us to live and whatever platform He's given us. So when we deal with Walmart or any other company, what we try to do, and it's either easier to say than it is to live. But it's to serve the customer like you'd want to be served, or it's to treat people like you'd want to be served, or like you'd want to be treated. And so when Walmart gives us an assignment, we try to bring it in cheaper than what they say uh, they'll pay, or we try to do things that um, seem more difficult than most people you know, people would rather not do. And, and, and so I think it's a matter of, of really looking at God's sovereign hand in all aspects, because in business and in the world, it's not fair. And I think what we try to do, again, is, is serve the customer, treat the person like they want to be treated, and understand if we're not treated like we should be, that we're there serving the Lord, and He's sovereignly in control of these circumstances, whether they work out or not. And so that's the way we try to approach it. Let's get to another one of the key influencers in your life. I already mentioned S. Lewis Johnson. So for people here who have never heard of S. Lewis Johnson, who is he? How did you meet him? How did he influence you? Well, S. Lewis Johnson was a, a noted professor at Dallas Seminary in the early years. And he became very influential uh, on, on preachers like Steve Lawson or John MacArthur or um, Howard Hendricks or a lot of these guys that listen to S. Lewis Johnson. And so when I moved to Dallas, uh, I was interested in his teaching. I wasn't married yet. And so I would, I started attending Believer's Chapel and I got to know S. Lewis Johnson because he was a golfer. He was the Northern Southern Carolina amateur champion. And he had decided that uh, he really wasn't going to play golf much while he was pastoring. Well, I had played golf in college and so when I met Dr. Johnson, it wasn't long after I'd been out of college and I played golf there, that he and I developed a relationship on the golf course, not only on a love for theology and the scripture and teaching, but I was able, also because I was in business, I was able to be in a position to spend time with S. Lewis Johnson in a different way than where he had, had been in the, in the classroom and in, at DTS. How about the influence of now working on the board of Grace to You with, with John MacArthur? What, what has that been like and what kind of impact? Because he, I would say he's been probably the most influential, at least from the conservative side of evangelicalism, has been yeah. probably the most influential pastor of the last 40 years. Yeah. Yeah. What have you learned? Well, what, what's interesting is, is when I first met John MacArthur, I mentioned that I knew S. Lewis Johnson. And he almost, he's, how do you know S. Lewis Johnson? Well, I came to learn that S. Lewis Johnson had tremendous impact in his formative years of his theology. And so when I mentioned to John that I had been 
at Believer's Chapel and spent time with S. Lewis Johnson. And I think that was, unbeknownst to me, that was a connection that meant a lot to John. And so we already started out, I guess, on the 20-yard line when I first met John. And so now, bring fast forward to John, we spend a lot of time together, and uh, we go play golf together and go on golf trips. And now, obviously, his granddaughter has my last name. And so uh, John is another man, like S. Lewis Johnson, like my father, that believed uh, the truth of Scripture and lived it in their lives. I, I can remember about looking at S. Lewis Johnson and, and watching him get the door for his wife, being the most kindest, humble man you'd ever meet. And John MacArthur's the same way. They love their family, they love their wives, they love their children, and they live what they believe. And that, that, that to me, is a tremendous testimony. And so I've seen that in John's life, and, and that is just a tremendous impact. I mean, I, I've seen how he loves Patricia, how he waits on her, cares for her, and on and on. Now, you feature not only MacArthur and Lawson and some of these guys who are still living, but also, of course, S. Lewis Johnson, Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was incredibly popular in, in mm-hmm. England uh, and in America back in the 20th century. James Montgomery Boyce, Barnhouse, all these different mm-hmm. – most of the preachers have, are, are gone yeah. on expositor.fm, right. this mm-hmm. kind of online right. preaching place. right. Why do you feature those guys? Is there okay. something lacking you think about kind of the younger up-and-coming <laughs> preaching crew today? No. Or? Golly, David, that's a tough question. Setting you up for that one. Yeah, you set me up for that. We have these men on there because they were, I would think they were the Hall of Fame of Bible expositors. And, and exposition of the Word are just men that expose the Bible. They go verse by verse exposing the Scripture. And I think God raised those men up because they were so excellent in that. And not to say that men don't love the Lord today and there aren't great Bible expositors, but but those men like Martin Lloyd-Jones or S. Lewis Johnson or, or John or Boyce or those guys, they were tremendous. Uh, even, even Donald Gray Barnhouse, who actually led S. Lewis Johnson to the Lord. And so, uh, you know, that verse, um, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And so if a preacher is faithful to the text, exposing the Word of God, that's what moves people's hearts. And I think if you're Satan, what do you say? You say, look, let's get people out of the Word. Let's take them to the shallow end. Really don't want to bore them. Let's make it a little bit smaller, a little bit shorter. But these men have withstood the test of time because they were great Bible expositors. Let's move on to one of your recent ventures with Herb's House Coffee and Company. This seems sort of an unusual tack for someone in commercial real estate Mm -hmm. to open a coffee house as if there aren't enough of them in the world. Tell us the story behind that, why you've done it, what is taking place there, and what's the purpose behind that particular venture? The coffee shop is actually in our building and it's across from SMU, if you're familiar with Dallas, not far from SMU. It's probably in walking distance of the George Bush Library, probably five or six miles from downtown Dallas. And so it's, it's inner city in a sense. And what happened was there was a, a church that came to us four or five years ago, and they said, we want to open a coffee shop to bring young people here. And I said, I let them do it. And we watched it. Amy and I watched it. And we said, this is terrible, the way they're running this coffee shop and the things that they're putting in there and what they're saying. And so finally their lease ran out. 
after about four and a half years, and Amy and I were talking about it, we said, I just have such a burden because people love coffee shops. They love the communal aspect of just going to a coffee shop. And I said, let's see if we can really change something and do something right here in this coffee shop. And so we went in, and with Amy's decorating abilities, we changed the, the whole inside of it. We hired a lady who had been a manager of 22 years from Starbucks. We hired other people from Starbucks. We went to a craft coffee and we, we really elevated the service, elevated the coffee, and then we added to it conference rooms that you can lease out. You may have some here in Minnesota. So that's the idea. And we, and we have books in there called Herb's Living Library. So you, people who come in and they can get Christian books if they're having issues in their life, trouble in their life. And so we just want to make it really a, a Hall of Tyrannius and Ephesians where it's a place that people can come from the public and even you can have Bible studies there. We'll go in there early and you'll see three or four or five people in there studying their Bibles early in the morning or people having Bible classes or, or groups or meeting in there. And so we're really excited about it because it's bringing not only the secular part of it but also the Christian part of it. So we're, we're super excited about it. And now it. you have a new church in there as well. We have too, a new church. Sundays and also Steve That's Lawson's and, Bible yeah, study, which goes all yeah. over the world, yeah. is, mm-hmm. is housed there as well too. Now, we've talked about several different things tonight in you know, parts of your life, from, from, from business to the coffee shop to church to some of the ministry things you've been involved with, Exposer.fm and so forth, marriage and family and parenting five kids and so mm-hmm. forth. Man, that's, a, that's a lot to juggle. So how do you, you balance and prioritize the important things in the midst of all those things you're juggling? Again, when I look back at my life, it's just God's sovereignty and God's blessing and His, His uh, giving me Amy and these kids and my parents, and it's all of grace. It really is. And yet we're responsible. I guess you say the process of sanctification is synergistic, where it's us working. It's faith alone that saves, but a faith that works. And so it's a battle every every day, every morning to get up and say, okay, Lord, I'm putting you first, but these are the things I need to do. I've got family, I've got work, I've got things I've got to do here. And so that's the battle, to stay in the Word. I think, I think number one, we've got to keep our mind in the Word. We've got to get away. We've got to get our Bibles. We've got to read our Bibles, study our Bibles, and pray, and put Him first. And uh, I think without that, we're in trouble. I know it is that way in my life. And so to keep that as a priority, to stay in the Word, then stay in fellowship with other believers and stay committed and try to keep the ball in the middle of the, in the, middle of the fairway and try to live like that. Well, final question for you, Kent, and uh, thank you for coming on the program, so to speak, tonight. Um, I'm going to read a passage from Romans 12. You had mentioned a, a key phrase before the interview, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. What a a powerful passage from Romans, oh, Hebrews chapter 12. Yeah, it's a typo in my notes here. Sorry about that. You know, the point of inviting you up here and point of this interview is to is to profile someone who is putting a, a biblical worldview uh, into practice. 
you said we have to run, as this passage talks about in Hebrews, we have to run, not walk, the race of endurance. Run, not walk. So maybe you could just conclude tonight with some parting words of encouragement how we're to run, not walk, this race of endurance we're in. I guess, as everybody says, time flies, doesn't it? And uh, I'm getting more and more of a sense of the passing years and the short time that we have and the fact that the Lord leaves us here for a short time and, and we really have a duty to serve him. Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 3, since there is so great a cloud of witnesses that are surrounding us, that follows, if you remember, Hebrews chapter 11, where it was the hall of fame of the faithful. And what I believe the author of Hebrews is saying, that we have this cloud of witnesses, and they're witnesses to the testimony of the faithfulness of Christ in their lives. And because all of these men and women followed Christ in chapter 11, and they finished the race, that because we have that in the Bible, and because we have other people in our lives that we are seeing that are running the race, fixing their eyes on Jesus, that we are to do what He says, and that we're to, number one, set aside any sin that entangles us, and the sins that trip us up, and we're to fix our eyes on Jesus and run the race that is set before us. And it's interesting if you think about that, David, because it doesn't say run when you're ready. It doesn't say walk or skip or just let go and let God. It says run with endurance the race that is set before us. And, and so I think it means one thing for sure, that if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you're not even in the race. You're not even in the race. But if we do know Christ, then we're to run with endurance and perseverance and patience, but to run. And I think that means it's a marathon. It's, it's difficult. It's hard. But I think we need to look at ourselves, and I, I'm here first looking at myself saying, am I running hard enough, fixing my eyes on Jesus, running the race that he's put me here for? And I think that when we do that and we help each other do that, that's really where we find the joy. That's really where we find the purpose in life. And so I think that's the first challenge to me. I need to run harder, run faster, and fix my eyes on Jesus. And that would be, I think, the challenge for all of us. Thank you for that closing word of uh, exhortation, Kent. And thank you, I think, on behalf of everyone here, just for coming up to Minnesota, taking that, making that extra effort to run up here, even though it rained today. Thank you, Amy, as well, for, for joining. And we've really enjoyed having you up here. And we hope this is the first of uh, some more trips in the thank future. Don't make it thank nine you. years before you come back thank up you. again. Thank you, David. All right, Kent Stainback, everyone. Let's give him a round of applause. Right, thank you.